eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? Coast to Coast Podcast back at you here from InsideCarolina.com. I'm your host, Joey Powell, and we're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirts. Hey, thanks for being here. Coast to Coast weekly episode here for you from IC. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, the two guys that you are mainly tuning in to hear from, Sheryl McMillan, Sean Moran. Sheryl, how you doing, dude? Good. It's been a busy week for UNC. Ready to talk about it. Absolutely. Sean Moran, how you living? Doing well. A lot of basketball to watch, both both college and high school right now. So uh, very, enter- very entertained. <laughs> there is definitely a lot to keep your eyes on and and. Uh, if you are a basketball fan or a basketball junkie, you are absolutely loving this time of year because it's it's all over the place and it's everywhere. So this past week, as Sherelle alluded to, Tar Heels in action, uh, a loss at UVA, which saw Armando Baycott get hurt, get hurt in the first 90 seconds of the game, really changed things for the Tar Heels. Uh, they ended up losing despite actually making it close in the last, uh, last minute, minute and a half, and then a win on the road, their first win away from the Smith Center, or first win in a true road game, excuse me, uh, at Louisville, who is just a hapless, just plate of pee right now. I have no idea what's going on with that with that program. But let's start there, Sherelle, What does the loss to UVA mean for this program right now? I don't. I don't think it means a ton, to be honest. Uh, is it was an opportunity that they had to get another big win, uh, a top. I guess in Ken Palm would be top twenty, but a, definitely a Q one win. And a really big road win that probably would have given them some confidence moving forward that maybe they don't have right now. Um, so anytime you're up nine in the first half and, and seven in the second half, it's not great to lose. But uh, for me, it's hard to be too upset considering what they were without. You know, going yeah. to UVA is a big deal. No matter what, no matter how low did the UNC team the last decade, it loses at UVA. Um, so the fact they were able to stay in it without Armando Baycott for 39 minutes and without Pete Nance the entire game. Um, I think it was, it could be end up being a, a really big moment for the season. If things turn around just because it forced some other guys who hadn't played and hadn't been in um, primary roles to be in those. And so they, they're kind of getting a trial by fire type deal, um, especially with Jalen Washington. I think that was a, a huge moment for the season. Um, but I, I don't take too much from the UVA loss other than, 
most good team Carolina most good Carolina teams the last decade go up there and lose. So it's not anything new. Um, I probably would say I was actually more encouraged, not by the end result, but just the fact they were able to hold their own, even though this isn't a vintage UVA team, it's still a good one. I mean, it's a UVA team that climbed as high as second in the country this year at one point. Um, I think and they've they've got some they've got three losses on the resume, but they've been good losses against really, really good competition. Uh, I, I do think you're you're spot on in a sense that there have been much better UNC teams that have gone to UVA and just absolutely gotten shellacked. So it, it is weird. There's a bit of a bugaboo around playing in, in JPJ Arena right now. Uh, Sean, I want to come to you and ask you kind of the flip side of the coin. Tar Heels won at Louisville. Uh, Louisville has beaten like, you know, Florida A&M and then, you know, the the Sisters of the Poor uh, Tech State University Institute of Technology. Um, they are an absolute train wreck, and it's hard to wrap our head around. But instead of talking about Louisville, what can you take away from the fact that North Carolina won um, at the Popcorn Chicken Mexican Pizza Center this week? Sure. I was, I mean, given, given their record and, and given what the spread was, uh, you expected a blowout, but I was definitely a little nervous coming in, especially going under the, uh, you know, thinking Armando Baycott was not going to play. And for me, the question came to how will UNC get to 70 points? Uh, and I was, was trying to figure that out, but regardless, you were going to need, uh, some people to step up. And we definitely saw that with Puff Johnson and double figures and, DeMarco Dunn as well, continuing to improve. So I think uh, that was really one of the takeaways for me was just the continued bench play uh, to Sherelle's point at UVA. They were forced to step up Jalen Washington in in the first half, uh, but it also got others some, some playing time. And I think, you know, right now you, you look at, you look at the team and last year when they were when they were peaking, they really had four players that could easily get you 20 points. Uh, so scoring was not not an issue. Now it's Armando and RJ. So you got only two players um, with Caleb with the potential, but uh, obviously not having the best of seasons up to up to right now. So you really need to get the get the other players uh, comfortable and understand roles and what they can do. I think when we did see UVA in the second half, they had two bench players that have uh, very quickly established one, a freshman, one uh, probably 24 years old, but they know what their roles are and they, you know, they're going to contribute. And I think that's what UNC needs uh, to really define instead of trying to figure out things on the fly of putting in, whether it's Seth or DeMarco, Washington, you know, who, whoever it is. Um, I, I think that's always going to be a piece of it going on the fly. But at the same time, if, if you're comfortable with DeMarco getting 15 minutes and if Seth Trimble, you know what you're going to get defensively. Um, now you got to bring him along offensively. But I think that was one of the key takeaways was just how did they got to 70 points and, and they did that by getting other people involved. Yeah. I, I do think uh, a lot of folks were shocked to see Armando Baycott play against Louisville. He didn't play as much as I'm sure the coaching staff wanted to. And maybe, uh, you know, that foul trouble is kind of a blessing in disguise, but, I want to stay there and talk about the bench contributions. I was lucky enough to fill in for Tommy and and do the post-game podcast with Dewey Burke, and we talked about just how so many different guys, to your point, Sean, had stepped up uh, and played good minutes, uh, deep minutes against Louisville. Specifically, I mean, you're looking at DeMarco Dunn's line. It was as sexy as a Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass slow song, and, and it was amazing 
to see him shoot so well. I think he was five for seven. He finished in double figures. Uh, he had, uh, I think he had five rebounds, uh, a steal, uh, or a couple of steals and a block shot. I mean, it's just the type of stuff that that you really want to see from from your bench. And for all the the hand wringing and clamoring that folks have been making about Hubert Davis's playing rotations, Sean, I want to ask you: Are we starting to see a bench develop based on just what we've seen in the last two weeks or last two games? I certainly hope so because it, it is going to be it is going to be necessary versus playing a few guys in the first half and seeing what what works and maybe they get a few minutes in the second half. But you know, Demarco Dunn didn't really play much at all his freshman year and has been steadily improving. I was definitely a little frustrated with him at some small points in the UVA game. Uh, a quick shot. He you know played well in the first half, but a, a quick shot uh, here from three, and then that last three to McNeely. Uh, you know what he's going to do? He's going to he's shooting from three. He's not he's not you know driving to the basket. And he, you know Demarco had his hand down on on that one. But you go in today, and it, it took him just a a little bit of time, but he's able to impact the game uh, without needing the ball. And and we saw that with the op- the first offensive rebound and the putback. And I think that's what that's what those guys need to do is how do you impact a game without the ball or without knowing you're going to get, you know, get an outside shot. And, and if you can cut to the basket, if you can uh, rebound and he re- rebounds very aggressively from offensive perspective, and that just helps you get going. So now when you are catching a uh, catch and shoot three, you've got your legs under you and, and you're a little more comfortable. I know from a defensive perspective, I think he definitely has potential. Um, he's definitely been, scored on a fair amount and i know adrian's uh stop percentage i think he was was pretty low in that at at the time but uh, once again he's he's still pretty much a, a freshman from from playing time perspective and you can see him starting to get a little bit more comfortable on both sides of the ball but going back to what we just talked about last year they had four guys that you knew could get you 20 very consistently towards the end and they need they don't have that this year and they're not going to have that. So they need a guy that can get you eight to 10, I think consistently off the bench to help offset um, some of what they had last year. Sherelle, when Baycott went down early against UVA, uh, the fact that Pete Nance was already out and that Will Shaver is unavailable for the rest of the season was really evident. And what that did is it forced Hubert Davis's hand a little bit in a sense that the only guy left was Jalen Washington. And I know that that you've been a big fan of Jalen Washington since you know you started following him for IC for recruiting purposes. Can you really understate how comfortable he's looked in the minutes that he's gotten, specifically when he got twenty some minutes or essentially more in the game against Virginia that he's gotten all year? Because I feel like I feel like the kid looks really really comfortable in there right now. He does, and I wanted to touch on Dunn real quick before we go to Jalen. Um, Dunn. You- you kind of look at his numbers and, you know, everything doesn't quite match up with the eye test. You, you think maybe he's struggling a little bit more with his shooting or, or you think maybe his defense isn't as good. But um, conference play only, he's 5 of 11 from three. So that's that's 45%, which is which is good in conference only. You'll take that. Good opponents for the season, even though he's only taken 19, he's at 42%. So that's what you want from, you know, your your wing off the bench, your, your kind of two guard, three off the bench. Also well, he, funny. Hang also on, funny. I, I want to yeah, I, I want to stick here because we talked about this in a previous podcast. We also talked about it prior to the season. I don't think anybody saw him getting the minutes that he's gotten. And, and Dewey said on the post game the fact that he was hurt and immediately got back into the rotation as soon as he was physically able shows 
the trust that he has earned from Hubert Davis and that staff. Go ahead, Shrill. Yeah, and the game that he came back in was against one of the best teams in the conference, it turns out, and he was in at very key moments after not having played for a month. So to your point, that definitely shows how much he's he's trusted. Um, I, I found it interesting, though, that, you know, in Kim Palm, you can look at kind of players who have sim- similar profiles based upon their numbers. And uh, one of his four is Kerwin Walton, 2022. So stop. I was, yeah, I thought that was very wow. interesting. All right. Um, when it comes to Jalen, uh, what I, what I like about Jalen is that he's always had that soft touch um, on his shot. I think everybody sees it. It's immediately identifiable. Um, he can make his free throw. So if he gets fouled, which is happening a lot because uh, he just doesn't have the strength yet to finish through contact. So some of those that might be in ones in a year right now are, you know, two shots and he's able to make his free throw. So that, that's great. Um, but as far as just what he's been through, like, you know, so he had an ACL injury, uh, his junior. So first off, uh, he broke a leg. I think it was his towards the end of his freshman year in high school, played through his sophomore year. Everything was okay. And he tore his ACL Then COVID happened. Um, then he came back and played, not realizing that the ACL surgery had been kind of done. Uh, I don't want to say botched because that's me, but it hadn't been done the best. It needed to be repaired. Uh, during that time, he had another injury that was caused by the fact that the ACL wasn't repaired correctly. And then he had to have surgery to get everything fixed and was out for about 10 months um, as far as like basketball or whatever. Um, but if you look at his last real game playing heavy minutes was at a AU tournament uh in July of 2021 and then he plays a few minutes uh gets short attack a couple minutes here or there and then against arguably the best defensive team in the conference against arguably the best team in the conference comes in and plays more minutes he's ever played and looks really really good for that first half you know it trailed off in the second half i think you can call that fatigue or whatever but absolutely you you see the natural skills you see the iq you see the hands you see all of it there it's just a matter of him getting more playing time getting healthier um getting stronger and you you see why everybody loved him prior to the injuries you have to get excited if you're listening to this podcast uh if you can consider what some strength and conditioning work for his lower body may do for his game. Because like Sherelle said, he's got all the little stuff already. You can see the potential there right now. And if he gets to a place where he can work through contact, and let's be honest, he wasn't getting manhandled against UVA. Uh, it, it could Most of the time when you see these guys, and Sherelle, you and Sean have done a great job setting this up. Most of the time when you see these guys come in, their lower bodies are where their weaknesses are. And, and he's got a long way to go there, but he did not by any means, get shoved around or abused against UVA. I think it's like you said. I think he just got tired. And then, uh, you know, against Louisville on on Saturday, I really liked the times that he was in the game with Baycott together. Mm -hmm. Um, It it just, it seemed like everything flowed well. He knew how to give, it was like he knew how to play with Baycott. Like he's played with other picks before. Um, He's never been just the only center or the only four on the court. Just the spacing was good. The ball moved well. He's also a good passer. Um, I just really like that that particular lineup. I'm I'm not sure why. I'm sure the, the plus minus numbers will come back saying something different, but just eye test it. It looked and flowed well. And when he gets comfortable, because he can shoot the three, when he gets comfortable actually doing it and doesn't think about it, mm-hmm. um, that's gonna really really bode well because he's a good shooter out to three point line. 
Well, and he catches it in rhythm. He looks prepared to shoot when it comes to him. And the fact that he's taken a couple quickly shows that the staff has given him the green light in practice, at least to take it. Cheryl, I want to ask you kind of a, a tougher question to talk about. You know, the bench development has been a positive that that fans should feel better about. Um, one of the things I think is a bit of a bugaboo for this squad, defense has been where Hubert Davis wants them to improve, right? One of the things specifically I think that is a problem, we saw it against uh, UVA, you saw it really badly against uh, Louisville. This team gives up a lot of points in the paint. Uh, I want to ask you, why is that still such a big deal for this team? Why is it still such, um, just such a point of, 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 of failure for them? I think it starts with your junior guards. I mean, it, we're not here to pile on people, but neither of them, I would say, is playing at a defensive level um, that, that they would like. You know, R.J. Davis, I think some of his stuff is, is just limitations, honestly. Um, it's very easy for some of those 6'3", 6'4", guards, and we, we've seen it a ton, to just take him, you know, the old Mark Jackson style where you dribble 20 times and drag him into the paint and just, you know, over the top of him. Back him down for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, that's that been the game plan for, for some teams. I mean, Pittsburgh did it a ton on switches whenever um, they would get one of the bigger guys on, on RJ. So that, that's part of it. And then I think Caleb, um, he's playing, he's playing inconsistent defense. I think there are times where he's pretty solid defensively. Um, and I think there's times where, you know, either he has elapsed or, He's tired or, uh, you know, his offense isn't flowing, so it doesn't help his defense, um, but he just has lapses. And, you know, the, the UVA game, you know, is the perfect example. He hits the three, cuts to the three, and the next possession is kind of like he and the team just, you know, forgot about Beekman, and he gets a dunk and the game's over. Like the easiest play of the entire game. Uh, so I think for them, it's just consistency. And I know that's frustrating for, for fans in particular to hear because they played so many games, but I, I can't equate it to anything else besides that. Um, it's, it's just, you know, trying to get more consistent. And the issue, I think, overall is that you would love to play different people who maybe have uh, more skill defensively or more talent defensively or can move better laterally. But nobody has been able to sync up their offense and defense. So, like, <laughs> if you take one person out, then the person who may come in, um, their their offense might not be as good. You know, so there's there's no one who has a, a really great balance right now. And I think they're working through that. Yeah, that's been one of the things that frustrates me about some of the you know, some of the discourse, both on the message boards and online about, you know, subbing this player out or trying to fix some of UNC's problems is because, you know, I don't know if there's anybody on the roster. And I do think, you know, the coaches know enough about these guys. I don't think there's anybody on the roster that is going to fix the holes that UNC has without creating other deficiencies that that need some fixing. Sean, I want to ask you schematically, is there something UNC can can do to to maybe wall off some of those points in the paint? It's a good question. I mean, from a Caleb perspective, I feel like even in this game, when when he's faced, when, he, when opponents are going one-on-one -on -one with him, uh, I feel like he's playing pretty good defense for almost 90% of it, uh, but he is letting players get into the paint. And once they get into the paint, even though he's contesting, uh, they're 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 hitting their shots uh, almost almost every time. Um, you know, I I think we saw UVA in the second half. Their goal, uh, almost similar to Kansas in the championship game, was hey let's let's get our you know let's start attacking attacking these guards. And it was almost kind of a downhill effect given their size and and length and just being able to go one on one. Part of it is also 
Pete Nance, pretty good uh, shot blocker, pretty good, pretty good size. Uh, so they haven't had him. Uh, so it's really been Armando uh, that's been trying to control the paint. Without him, you lose that. Washington's still working on his overall awareness. Um, but to Hebert's point after UVA, a lot of it is you need to be able to guard your guy one-on-one. I still think pick and rolls, they can they can improve on on what they're doing. I mean, I I I did love it when they were uh you know blitzing the ball handler a lot more, but they've they've gone away from that uh really since the the Michigan game. But I, I think that that's you know really just what the one on one defense is a is a huge component. They have stopped over helping as much as they, they used to. Um so they're not wildly chasing uh the ball around the perimeter, giving up three point shots. So that that has been an improvement uh for the most part. But you know, defensively, you look at the offensive rankings, top twelve, fifteen from an efficiency standpoint, but it's still that defense that's in the in the sixties and um, you know, when when things get get going for the other team, it's hard to stop the ball from rolling downhill at times. And can I jump in, Sean, last year wasn't, it was kind of a similar situation where the defense was in the 70s and 80s. And then as the run started, it, it went from, you know, the 60s into the 40s. And by the final four, I want to say it was like top 20. There was a point, uh, I don't, I mean, there was a point statistically where UNC was outside of the top 100 in January yep. last year. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yep. I mean, I'd also love, Yeah, I know we've talked about, uh, leaky uh in turn you know is he is he fully healthy and i don't think anybody's ever been able to say if, if there is an issue or if he is fully healthy uh obviously he's still doing a great job defensively but you can see when he is put on those smaller guards it's almost like we're going back into that pre-virginia pre-home virginia tech game where he can get beat off the dribble pr- pretty easily by a quick quick guard he still makes life difficult with his wingspan but it's almost he has to be put on really that six five or above uh you know wing or small forward because what he was showing in that run where he could lock he was just locking anybody he touched down that hasn't been been the case and people have been able to get a step on him and and get to the rim on him as well so you know that it's, it's a tough tough bill to live up up to but um you know he he's not he has not been at his the standards he set for himself in that run last year, which is a difficult bar to meet, but still, still a point. Sure. Sean, I want to ask you uh, for a comment on uh, what I saw today. And I don't know that I've seen it more than a possession or two earlier this year. If, if, if it's been that much, but I, I saw some cowards defense today from, uh, from, <laughs> from Hubert Davis, a little bit of zone thrown out there. And I, I know it may have just been to protect his, uh, his gimpy, uh, is Gimpy big man who was who was already kind of playing with four fouls, but just want to see if you'll make a comment about about what Hubert Davis did by throwing that zone out there late in the game against Louisville. Uh, I, I did do a double take when I when I did see it, uh, but <laughs> but you know I was I was I liked it in terms of trying trying something different. Uh, the end result, at least in the first two possessions, were were missed shots. However, it, it kind of seemed like the same same old thing where. They they give up a wide open corner three on that first possession. Usually, I mean, you could go back to the oh four oh five Roy Williams teams when they do a little one three one, and all, all of a sudden five six seconds left on the shot clock, and first possession a guy's getting a wide open corner three and they're knocking it down. Um, second possession, I think it was a shot in the paint that they that they missed. So 
the, the holes were were there uh but at the same time i i like i would like to see them mix it up a little bit more and i, I wish they did have a few different zone defenses or even going to the we've talked about the full court i think they did it softly one time against louisville and without any trapping um did it late against uva uva is going to be you know with key clark a, a, a tough team especially with with uh probably how everybody was feeling just from a stamina perspective but we'd love to see that and and even in the half court just uh the, the traps on the ball handler and trying to trying to uh be the aggressor in creating turnovers which we know is not their strong suit you think they practice that I, i'm i'm not i'm not even being funny i'm serious <laughs> because you know we know big baycott didn't practice for most of the week and mm-hmm. um you know, R.J. Davis had four fouls. Jalen Washington had four fouls. Baycott had four fouls. I wonder if it was a situation where they were just like, you know, they were up, what, were they were up 20 or something, 19? Yeah, it was just it was 19 get, when he went to it. Yeah, just get up, you know, just, just hang out for a couple of minutes until, you know, they saw this one away. I, I do wonder if it, it was even practice. It could have been some of that. I think I think there may be some some credence to that, Sherelle. Um, Well, Sean, I appreciate you commenting on that. I, I, again, it was it was noticeable, and I do think – you make a great point. You know, a lot of times in the past when Roy Williams teams would, would do that, by the time the fan base realized what was going on, the other team had scored off of it, and then Roy never broke it out again. So uh, it was it was weird to see uh, Hubert Davis shake it up today at the time in the game, which he did. Um, I don't appreciate seeing zone defense as much, but I do appreciate Johnny T-Shirt. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt is your stop for UNC gear. They are big sponsors of Inside Carolina, the content that we provide to all subscribers and listeners and viewers of this show and all the other great uh, podcast content that I see puts out there. Johnny T-shirt is where you need to go. Uh, it was uh, quite a bit chilly this weekend in the Triangle area of North Carolina. And if you were without a coat or without a jacket and you need something with that UNC logo on it, hit up johnnytshirt.com. They'll take care of you. If you're a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina, you know you get that extra 10% off the top of your Already great prices. Johnny T-shirts where you need to be. I can't say any more about them. They're great folks, locally owned, alumni operated. They support us. We want you to support them. We're glad they're along for the ride. Anytime we're talking to you on Inside Carolina. Take a quick break. Let the national guys drop some of their ads in here. We'll be right back to talk a little recruiting. I think there's been a lot going on in that scene too. Sherelle and Sean will help us break that down when we come back on the Coast to Coast podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for sticking around. We appreciate you being a part of the show. Appreciate you consuming this content here and wanting to be a part of, of Inside Carolina. I'm Joey Powell, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran with us here on the Coast to Coast. 
Boys, there was a pretty big tilt between some recently committed Tar Heels this week on the hardwood in the high school ranks. Uh, we saw uh, we saw Elliot Cadeau against James Brown at the Bass Pro Shops uh, Carolina rig firetail fishing worm with a double offset bullet sinker fishing tournament, basketball tournament. And Sherelle McMillan kind of has some some updates from that. But Sherelle, what was your first impression as uh, as Link beat St. Rita's 74 to 52? Well, I think the first thing is shout out to Eric Bossy, uh, 24-7's national recruiting director. All over he, it. All over he, it. He, he was at the tournament. And uh, in, in addition to giving us updates, he also got some audio, which we turned into a story, if you haven't read, actually it's free. Um, about James Brown and Elliot Cadeau kind of recruiting uh, Ian Jackson, as well as just their their overall feel for each other, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't, it's not really a fair fight <laughs> considering <laughs> how many high major uh, future NBA players that Link Academy has. Uh, St. Rita don't, you know, isn't, it has talent. You know, let's not, let's not think it doesn't have talent. It has right. three guys who've already committed <laughs> to Power 5 schools. So it's not, they're not, to your point, sisters of the poor, technical university, agricultural state, <laughs> or anything like that. Um, what I liked about Cadeau, again, he only plays about 20 minutes a game just because they're so loaded. But when he's in the game, he just, it really is the control that he has. Um, I, I, you know, I don't like player comparisons, you know that, but just the way the game becomes so easy to him, it reminds me of Chris Paul. Um, not, you know, as dynamic, I would say, but just always in control, always looking ahead, always knowing the the counter and the counter to the counter and the next pass and the pass after the next pass and what to do once the next pass goes you know reverse to the other side of the court he just he knows everything that's going to happen it feels like on the court um and then you know his his ball handling is, is very very tight not a lot of turnovers um and the one thing that we've talked about a lot is <laughs> sean uh, i'm stealing it from you since you put it in there um <laughs> is that unc's transition really has hasn't been fully operational since kobe white you know, like Chapel Hill. <laughs> fully operational. Um, I love that. Yeah, it hasn't been fully operational since then. And I think with Cadeau, it'll get back to that. Um, he's very good at throwing lobs, and he throws them from pretty much every angle and every part of the court. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, obviously, as we said, the jump shot is something that needs to continue to improve. He's not a bad shooter by any stretch, but just more consistency with that. And then Brown, um, actually, in addition to the game against uh, Link Academy. I went back and watched a few of his games over the year, uh, over the last year. Um, St. Rita, I think, is eight and seven. So I probably watched two or three games mm -hmm. and just really impressed more so than I remember about his rebounding ability, mm -hmm. um, his motor. I mean, that that's gonna that's gonna give him, you know, six or eight points a game just from motor and just chasing stuff down. Mm -hmm. It's gonna give him five or six rebounds a game just from chasing stuff down and playing hard. And he runs the floor so well. Um, he gets up and down really quickly. Uh, so, you know, just two really, really good commitments from UNC. Brown is, I think, a couple, you know, two, three years guy um, at, at UNC. Uh, I think he could be really, really good, good, like, you know, high level, right in that sweet spot, the 25 to 30, who has just enough deficiencies to stay in college, but is really good in college. And then Cadeau, obviously, is that top 10 type who um, could be there for a year. But, you know, Carolina just hasn't had – the type of point guard he is in a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, from what I've seen of Cadeau's video, the boy keeps it on a rope quite a bit. Um, and and uh, from James Brown, I, I like your point about Motor Sherelle because I, I was watching some some video from him, and 
Brother Rice and some of his other games, and and he just he seems to be around the ball a lot. And I don't know if that's just weak side positioning or just understanding where rebounds are going to come from. But that's that's just a knack that you you, you always want guys that have that before they get to college. Sean, what did you think about uh, being able to see a little bit more of Cadeau and uh, and James Brown? Well, for for James Brown, I think what Sherell just just hit on was was something that jumped out to me seeing seeing him back in in the summer was that rebounding ability and that tenacity. Uh, especially on the offensive glass. I know for me, the big question is, how is UNC going to look post-Armando Baycott? They've already uh, kind of lost their offensive rebounding identity besides for him, uh, and it would be great not to fully fully lose it. So that's always something I'm watching in the in the bigs. And for, for Brown, he does have that uh, just tenacity to go after it, uh, the ability to finish, finish you know, with either hand close to the basket. And... I think for him, we're going to continue seeing double doubles, uh, you know, in in the high school games, and once they get back into the Chicago um, Chicago league play as well. I think for him, one thing I want to see. I know he can hit the jump shot, uh, kind of a 15, 15 footer, but if he could, if he could get that down consistently, I think that could really uh, make him valuable as a as a freshman. Um, you know, not not asking to step out and knocking down three pointers at a 40% clip. But I, but I think if he can continue working on that 15 footer, um, that can really help, help his game and help him when he gets to UNC. And then in terms of Cadeau, um, you know, nothing, nothing new to add. He continues playing at a, playing at a high clip um, and playing in, once again, as Cheryl mentioned, playing 20 minutes a game. So he's playing in these different different settings, and we know he does have the ability to take over and be the go-to guy from a scoring perspective. But it is that passing ability and and the control, which I think uh, UNC fans will love once he does does get to Chapel Hill and just being able to to run the play, run the break, see those alley oops, and and get everybody involved. Shrill, is it too early for fans to start thinking about, you know? And I know it depends largely on who else is on the roster with him to start thinking back to some. Some Kendall Marshall pitch aheads, or dare I say, oh. even some 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 Ed Cotas. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's that kind of passer. He he is. I mean, the other night he had eight assists, and it didn't look like he was particularly trying that hard. Not saying he wasn't. It just he's so smooth that it looks like um, it's it's not even a thing for him. He can just see everything a step ahead. In control. I mean, it's just he 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 looks in control. I love that. Uh, Sherelle, I want to talk a little bit about Ian Jackson. I think. Um, you know, he had his visit this past weekend. Uh, I want to, I want to see what you can share because it seems like uh, maybe that recruitment may or may not be coming to an end quicker than than folks thought. There was kind of a a scuttlebutt that popped up this past week that maybe there was, maybe there's not. Sh- share what you what you know and what you think uh, with regard to Mr. Jackson. Okay, so let's let's paint the picture. All right, so Ian Jackson heads to the UNC visit. Um, in it, we write that uh, a Jackson-UNC marriage is unlikely based upon things we've heard from sources with varying perspectives. And I want to emphasize that because what that means is it's not just coming from one side. It's coming from national folks or, you know, people familiar with UNC or people familiar with Jackson. It's, you know, kind of all-encompassing. The visit happens, and by pretty much the admission of everyone, it kind of blew him away. He was a little surprised maybe that it blew him away. And people who are normally very subdued about this kind of thing were like, yeah, it was a great visit. So um, that, I think, has fueled some optimism among the UNC fan base that 
maybe it's not as unlikely as it seemed heading into the visit. And while we don't exactly know if it is, um, we know that he's considering making an announcement um, at Hoopal, um, which is this weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, as of the time we're recording this, he has not made any announcement of a potential announcement time. Um, as far as uh, a, a decision, he had we also talked about kind of an accelerated timeline. I think that's what got uh, fans also pretty excited. Um, really, it's about two weeks earlier than he expected. He said kind of consistently that he wanted to do it towards the end of January, early February. Um, so all that to say, post-visit, I don't know. Um, I can tell you what we thought pre-visit, and we haven't really had anything to confirm uh, that something has changed. That's not saying that it hasn't just that we haven't been able to confirm that. So in the absence of new information, we're going to kind of go with what we have and we'll see what happens. Well, you know, we make the joke about this off the air, but anytime we, anytime we record one of these shows, something always happens right after the show gets, gets done and we sign off. So we'll see if that happens with this one or if, if that, uh, if that streak is broken, uh, Sean, there's been a lot going on this weekend as well with the hoop hall classic. That's typically one of the bigger events. Um, Sponsored by the you know the Hall of Fame uh, this weekend, we've got the aforementioned Ian Jackson, uh, as well as Sim Wilcher, Boogie Fland, and uh, and Zayden High's teams in that. Um, anything folks should be looking for, or anything that 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 you're looking for when you watch those games? Yeah, I, I'm I'm most excited about the the Roosevelt Catholic and and Paula Six game, which might have been played by the time this drops, which is Sunday at five thirty. But um, I, I think was able to watch Wiltshire earlier this week. Uh, I mean, their their team is loaded. So when they're they're playing some of these local New Jersey Ooh, games, not team loaded, their team is loaded. <laughs> Correct, not the not the AAU team, but um, they're basically playing an AAU team in in Paula Six, which is Team Takeover. Uh, but in in terms of earlier this week, they won by forty plus points. So uh, the, there's a lot of talent. Um, Simeon Wiltshire is not a me first guy. I, I always I want him to be more aggressive offensively, but that's not, he's, he's really a, a pass first uh, type of player, but you know, at the start of the, at the start of the game, he, he airballed a three pointer, came right back, uh, drove hard down the middle for, for a pretty impressive, pretty impressive dunk. Uh, so didn't really get to, you know, you, you got to see him in that game, but really looking forward to a high level of competition. And with the with the recruiting class for 2023, he's you know there, there's two guys in it. He's going to play a, a big role. I think he's going to be a tantalizing type of prospect where you see the talent, but it's going to take him a little while to become maybe more aggressive than he's accustomed to being. But looking forward to seeing seeing his game against um, you know really more of an AAU type level of of competition. We should do a, a trivia question. You mentioned team loaded, Joey. How many Far away. How many players on UNC's team? We should get a reader to send it in. How many players on UNC's current team played some with team loaded? Now put the emphasis on some, or at least a season with team loaded. Mm. I can think of three. Okay. We'll have, a, we'll, have, we'll have a reader send it in. We got, okay. We'll, All yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So All if right. you're listening, send that in. Yeah. Send that in. Send it to... Uh... Send it to Sherelle on the message boards or, or hit us up on the on the social medias. Sherelle, anything else you want to add about uh, about the Hoop Hall Classic? Uh, yeah, just that, um, de again, depending on when you listen to this, if you're listening to it on Sunday morning, um, you can watch Zayden High on ESPN at 4. 
And you can watch Wilcher, as Sean said, at 5.30 on ESPN. And then you can watch uh, Ian Jackson at 9 p.m. all on ESPN. And then Monday, um, uh, Zayden High and Compass Prep play at 5 p.m. on ESPN. So a few opportunities to watch UNC signees slash targets. And again, if this comes out after uh, those games have played, forgive us, Shrill, still giving you accurate information. It may just be, may just be, may just be passed by the time you you get this. So don't fault us. All right, boys, two pennies time. Sean, anything else you want to add before we get out of here today? <laughs> uh, yeah, you might you might cut me off. I'll, I'll have one normal one and go real quick on on some other thoughts. But uh, R.J. Davis, you know, he offensively has been been playing tremendous in the ACC, shooting almost forty four percent from. From three in ACC play, he was shooting uh, below below thirty percent for a while. But um, you know he's been he's been playing very well. The shot has started to to go down for him, fifty seven percent from three over the last four games. And that three he hit against Louisville in that first half to go with the the Styles dunk. I mean, I think in a bigger picture, a lot of their losses, you feel like UNC has been the better team, and it's really been. What's that lead at the at the first? You know, UVA. It's two points. It probably should have been seven to nine. Um, same with with Iowa State. Same with same with others. So, I think that just goes from a bigger picture perspective. Of they're the better team. They need to get those bigger leads because a team is going to make a run. And when they do, it needs to be cut to seven or eight. Versus all of a sudden it's a two point game and now everything gets a little bit tighter. Um, so, props to RJ for for what he's been doing. And then a few very quick things. Caleb Love obviously struggling a lot from three. Offensively, it's almost like he's kind of reverted back to freshman year Caleb offensively. And the one shot he did hit uh, was the pull-up from about 17 feet. And I think that's what he needs to focus on right now because he can get that shot even more, a lot more so than he could freshman year. Uh, but it's something he's comfortable with and I think can knock down on a very consistent basis. So I'd love to see him do that a little bit more rather than uh, aiming some of these threes that he's he's taking, and then real quick, Seth Trimble didn't didn't score, but I did love him uh, even when he got called for the charge attacking the basket. Garbage hes- call, absolutely garbage call. But please go ahead. Uh, without hesitation and starting to show some of that ability in the air, but for him, it just has to be uh, quick movements, get to that pull up jump shot, which I don't think we've really seen at all this year, or get to the basket. You know, who cares if you get a charge? Just you know, just be aggressive. And then, Leaky Black, um, you know, had had four points. I think, I think he's got to be he's got to be getting in ten points a game. Just give you know, given Baycott's injury and Pete Nance out, and he's got to find a way to get to that that ten points and be a be a factor offensively. Whether that's a short mid range, a three, a steal, whatever it is, but um, I think that's going to be another piece in terms of them uh continuing to improve themselves yeah and i, I do want to make sure I, I point i mean you know leaky's uh leaky um caleb loves three-point streak did end at louisville uh of consecutive games with hitting a three-pointer uh but he did get a runner um against louisville he did hit one of those through contact that wasn't called so it was again it's nice to see um you know there are also uh, other players playing for other schools that are getting 18 points on 22 shots and yeah you know, I, I i just think I, th- I think a lot of folks are fixated on caleb because of how mercurial his game is but um dewey said in the in the post game after after louisville i, I think Duval still think dewey still thinks after louisville that caleb's going to be able to 
to shoot his way out of this. Um, and I know a lot of Tar Heel fans hope the same thing. Trell, you got two pennies for me? I've got a few. Um, we only we only allow two here unless you, <laughs> unless you unless you disguise them the way Sean the way Sean did and say, all right, I got one, and then like four, five, six, seven, like right after that. But <laughs> have right, at it, so, man. So one basketball, one the basketball. Uh, <laughs> so pushing it forward to next week, we probably won't talk again until after these next two games are played. Um, so they are two home games: home against Boston College. Uh, Boston College struggles to do anything offensively. Um, they're among the worst at pretty much every shooting statistic in the country. Uh, so that'll probably be a very close game <laughs> the way UNC is playing this year. Uh, but that's a game that you you have to win, that you should win against the team, you know, in the, the lower half of Division One. And then that brings up Saturday, January 21st, where you have a, a, a pretty hot NC State team um, coming to Chapel Hill. And uh, that's a big game for a bunch of reasons, uh, mostly because State and North Carolina's kind of resumes aren't that much different. Uh, you could say the state has better wins on the aggregate than UNC. They have top 50 Ken Palm wins over Miami, over Virginia Tech, over Duke, and they played Kansas really, really, really tough back in November. And they also beat Dayton, who also is, you know, I think top, top 55, top 60 on Ken Palm. Uh, Terquavian Smith is, you know, one of the best scorers in the league, so that's going to be a challenge for UNC's guards. So just – uh, there, it hasn't been many times where an NC State-UNC game meant something outside of the rivalry, but this is going to be one of those times. Um, State is a, a good team, and UNC is going to have to play their best uh, to win at home. So that's coming up. So a, a, an important week. You know, you, you kind of want to get momentum and start stacking wins on top of each other because you start looking at it, and it's going to be February, and there's not going to be a ton of games left uh, well, for UNC. And the schedule gets considerably tougher after that yeah. Boston College game. I mean, you right. mentioned NC State. Joiner can score. Uh, Terquavian Smith, who you mentioned, can score, and uh, the big post player they've got that, that. I mean, that kid is a bruiser and is is not afraid to to get some buckets around the basket. So I'm going to give myself some credit because I've I've always liked DJ Burns, and, and even when he went to Tennessee and didn't play, when he transferred out, like I, I just I don't know, I just like the kid. Um, he has a a cousin who played football at Carolina. I won't put his name out there, but. First cousin who was a running back at Carolina back in the day. He knows um, who. Hey, look, the, the DJ Burns knows who he is. He knows what his job <laughs> is, and he does it effectively. And, right. and I've always been a fan of guys that earn their five fouls, and he is one of those dudes that earns right. five. And so that's gonna that's tough for Armando. Um, I don't want to say tough because he's a little shorter, but uh, he's a big body that Armando's going to have to go to. And if Armando's out, UNC doesn't have anyone really that can guard him um, from a strength perspective. So just thinking about that and. and that matchup moving forward. That's one penny. All that is one. Um, the second whoa, one whoa, is... Whoa, 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 sir. I, I like it. Sir, that That's was a penny. very circuitous uh, <laughs> uh, penny that you you went with there. All right, go ahead. All right, done basketball. Just a shout out to my guy, Andrew Batchelor. Um, he had his first child today. So Baby Batch. Yeah, so they're 1-0. They're uh, his daughter, him <laughs> and his wife, Mary Reeves. Um, also, he, he, he wouldn't mind me saying this, but it's their wedding anniversary. So... Their first child was born on the day of their wedding anniversary, Whoa. which is that is that dude that is elite level planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's going to make his gift giving uh, pretty consolidated. He's going to have to be a very efficient gift giver, and we like to talk about efficiency and you know points per present here. So that's that's going to have to be a that's going <laughs> to have to be half, a two and a half weeks after Christmas. Yeah, that's uh, my, my, my man is my man is under the gun there. So I <laughs> see that credit card bill a little while. All right, what else you got? You're still you're throwing pennies at me like it. I'm a a fountain at the mall here. Let's go. That's my two. That's it. That's, that's all right. Well, you had me thinking you were going to have like a good seven or eight, but uh, those are those are two good ones. Shout out to Batch and and Baby Batch 
uh, and and Mrs. Batch. So um, that's good stuff for for Mr. Bachelor over there. All right, boys. This has always been fun. I appreciate the time you guys give to the show. Appreciate the insight you always bring. Uh, you, you make me smarter, which doesn't say much, but um, yeah, it's it, it's definitely a low bar to work with. And I appreciate you being who you are and bringing so much to the show. Shout out to everybody who listened, everybody who um, who viewed us on the YouTubes there. Uh, special shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring and always to John Sigley for producing. But until next time, for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm just Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. We'll talk at you later.